Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're coming to the end of 2018. We're about to start a brand new year. It's a new year. It's going to be a new me. I hate when people say that. Screw it. It's fun fiction. Welcome to Fun Fiction, ladies and gentlemen, the weekly show about movies, media, and how the internet ruins it. I'm your host, Scotty Moore. I am your your sickest boy, Scotty Moore. Uh, it's currently Christmas as I record this, but I wanted to make sure I had an episode for next week because I'm sorry we had to miss a week, but if you couldn't tell by my voice, I am a very sick boy, so I haven't been able to record anything for the channel. I haven't been able to record any new fan fiction, and I definitely haven't been able to write anything between Christmas and being half dead. So instead, I figured what better way to end the year than by celebrating some of the great fan fiction we've made this year. So I picked out some of my favorites that me or Brenna uh, have written throughout the year. I didn't want to do anything that was part of a series, so unfortunately the tale of Snails the Slytherin is not in here or any of the Adventure Zone stuff. But otherwise, I do want to, you know, take a trip back because it's been a fantastic year. I want to thank everybody at home for all of your support because... This show honestly has grown bigger and better than anything I've ever seen before, and it's all thanks to you guys. Um, But enough of me rambling. I'm sure I'll get all sympathetic and sad and sappy later. But let's start off with, uh, with some fan fiction, one that actually started off the show. This was the first official fan fiction we ever wrote. Because uh, for those of you who have just joined us recently, the first two episodes were less of a actual written fan fiction and more of a me being like, here's a general idea of what I'm thinking about. And then we got to kind of discuss it. But then I realized that writing out something was a lot more fun. And so this was the first one I ever wrote for the show. And it was episode three with Stranger Things. And it was also a choose your own adventure. Let's have a listen. It has been three months since the Hawkins Middle Snowball. It has also been three months since you've seen Eleven. You've tried your damnedest to move on, but you can't. The image of her walking into that auditorium seems to be burned into your skull, and you can't forget it. Your name is Mike Wheeler, age 13. You've never felt more alone since when Eleven left. You've been listening to Welcome to the Black Parade on repeat for the last four hours. Wait a minute, shit, this is the 80s. Uh, Oh, You've been listening to The Cure on repeat for the last four hours. Your friends have tried to get you to come out, but you can't find the energy to even move. Suddenly, static breaks across your walkie-talkie as the voice of Dustin calls out, Mike! Mike! We've got a code red! Please, pick up! Do you answer the walkie and see what Dustin wants, or ignore it and continue to wallow in pity while The Cure plays? (laughs) Okay, question. Am I doing what I myself would do, or do I need to play my character? Brenna, this is a choose your this is a choose your own adventure. Okay, okay, so I pick up and I talk to Dustin. Okay, Mike, where have you been? We've been trying to call you for days. Something's up with Lucas, man. Dustin calls as you cradle the walkie in your hands. You fight back a yawn as Dustin continues. We need your help. We think it's something to do with the upside down. 
not everything has to do with the upside down. You respond with a roll of your eyes. Besides, there's something wrong with Lucas every other week. It's not that big of a deal. He's not responding to any of us. He's not even responding to Max. Dustin continues as the sound of a car engine roars outside. Mike peeks through his windows to see a BMW parked outside, sighing as Dustin continues to rant. It's like he suddenly just dropped off the face of the earth. You lie back on your bed as the sounds of the cure fill the room. You want to believe Dustin, but you also know how lax he's been with the whole code red thing lately. Suddenly a loud horn blasts in the street outside. You look outside to see Dustin and Will frantically waving up at your window. You shut the blinds and Dustin responds with a firm flick of the middle finger, something he picked up from Max. You grab your book bag and rush outside. You find in front of you your two two of your best friends, Dustin and Will. Inside the idling car was Steve Harrington, a former boyfriend of your sister's. You know things were serious if they decided to bring Steve in on this. Dustin and Will begin to retreat into the car as you slowly pace towards them. Do you follow them into the car or ask more questions? Uh, ask more questions. Okay. Okay, what's going on? Lucas isn't usually the one targeted by these things. You comment as they tur- slowly turn towards you, eyeing Will up and down. Maybe he's just distracted with homework or something. Uh, are you sh- are you little shits going to hurry up or what? Steve ca- Steve calls as he exits the car, slowly approaching the trio. Sun's going down in three hours, and things are going to get exponentially harder after that. Lucas isn't the only one this has happened to. Will responds as Dustin sets his backpack on the ground, rummaging through it. My mom is basically turned into a hermit, won't talk to me or Hopper. Even Nancy and Jonathan seem to have been having problems. Really? Steve responds with a small grin. <laughs> Steve responds with a small grin, turning towards you. Has Nancy asked anything about me? No, you respond with a groan. Has she asked anything about me? Dustin adds on with a smile as he tosses you a book. (laughs) You know it instantly as the Monster's Manual of Dungeons and Dragons. You flip through to a dog-eared page where you discover a terrifying worm-like creature. The Fate Eater? You ask as Dustin, the master of lore, walks over and begins examining the book with you. I want to take a moment right here to break away from the fan fiction and say the Fate Eater actually, I believe, started in the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons, which didn't come out until recent years. But fuck you. I don't have a lot of time to prep this. I wouldn't have known. It's all right. Okay. They feed off the destinies and fates of humans. Dustin adds on. They consume the very threads of fate itself and leave whoever was to receive that destiny in a useless life. They have no fate. They just float throughout life with no ambition. Nothing is destined for them. Moments later, you're sat in the back seat of Steve's B&W, a can of gasoline in your hands. You're barreling down the road to Will's home, a spot that seems to have t- been that, uh, a spot that seems to have attracted the Fate Eater. Both Jonathan and Joyce had been attacked. Will was lucky he wasn't home when the creature began to feed. You slowly pull up to the old home and exit the vehicle. The rest of the party get their weapons out of the back as you slowly approach the house. Moments later, you find yourself split into the groups. Dustin and Will head inside to check on the buyer's clan as you and Steve head to the backwoods. Steve practicing swinging with his bat. You nervously stare at the ground as Steve's hair bounces in the wind. (laughs) Hey, Steve, you comment quietly as you pass the buyer's shed, leaves crackling as you go further into the forest. How did you get over Nancy leaving you so easily? Really? Really? Steve raises an eyebrow at you as he drags his benailed baseball bat in the dirt. There's a creature that can literally consume your entire future on the loose, and that's what you want to talk about? 
I'm just saying, it seems like he got over it pretty quickly. It started hanging out with us and, whoa, he responds, placing the bat to your chest. Let me remind you that we are not hanging out. I'm just here to make sure your asses don't get killed. And to answer your question, I didn't. Aww. What? You respond when suddenly rustling comes from a nearby bush. Steve steps in front of you when suddenly from the bush emerges a squirrel. Huh. You, you both sigh a sigh of relief when you notice the squirrel slowly pacing across the ground. An acorn falls from a tree above and the squirrel merely stares at it and skitters away. What do you do? Check the bushes or get back up? Um, check the bushes. Okay. You peer into the bushes where you discover a rather large, gro- a large, grotesque worm staring up at you with rows of sharpened teeth. Shit. It leaps out at you and you feel its slimy mouth latch onto your face. However, you don't seem to be experiencing pain as much as a loss of thought. It's as if everything that made you alive was leaving. The next D&D campaign you had planned suddenly disappears. Your knowledge of who these people around you are disappears. Everything disappears except for L. That thought of Eleven walking into the Hawkins Middle Snowball seemed enough to bring you back. It lets you remember the snowball, which in turn lets you remember the faces around you, the faces of your friends that attended that ball. This continued to snowball until the monster's face began to burn as it leaps away from you, seemingly terrified of what was happening inside of your mind. The rest of your party stare at you in confusion until Steve thinks quickly and begins to bash the small creature's entire body apart with his bat, blood flying up onto his members-only jacket. Once, once the creature was left in a pile of mush, Steve finally gave, uh, Steve finally gave up his fight, breathing heavily. The other two members of your party slowly approach you as you stand up, checking your body for any injuries sustained. What the shit was that? Dustin asks as suddenly the sound of crackling leaves come from behind you all. What the shit was that indeed? A voice calls from behind you. You turn to see a man in a pinstriped suit checking the time on his pocket watch. He holds out a hand for you as a portal opens in the tree beside him, ripping into the bark. Do you follow the man? Or slowly back away. Uh, slowly back away. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Wheeler, but you don't actually have a choice in this when it comes to me. He smiles as suddenly you feel your hand in his as he leads you through the portal. The rest of your party try to stop him, but before they can reach you, you're firmly throughout the wooden portal. I really wanted to thank you for stopping that abomination, but more importantly, I needed to show you this. What lay in front of you is a beautiful tapestry of woven silks. However, one section seems drastically damaged, but the wool seems to be pulling back together majestically, almost animating. Various lines seem to be falling off into nothingness as others seem to get tangled together, forming massive knots. The man smiles at you as he slowly walks towards the tapestry. Do you know what this is? He looks at you as you slowly shake your head no. He smiles and extends a finger, causing one thread to grow a bright blue. More specifically, do you know what this is? Is that... me? You ask as he flashes a sly grin. He beckons you to come closer as you stare at this lengthy thread. Do you see these two lines? He smiles as he eliminates two more lines at the tip of your thread, forming an X. 
This is where the path of your father intersected with your mother, and from that you were born. Gross. You respond <laughs> quietly as he holds out as he holds out another finger, eliminating or illuminating three more threads that start far away and then slowly approach and intertwine with your thread. And these? These are your friends, your party, if you will. All along this thread, your friends' threads will get closer and further away, but they will always be connected to you. All of them will. With that, he smiles and illuminates several other fibers in the tapestry, fibers representing people you love, people you barely know, and even enemies. They all come together around your thread to form a bright white light. So many people touched by your thread more than you can even begin to fathom. It's then that you notice one thread that seems to abide right by your side for a very long time, but soon begins to fall away. Falling away from the very tapestry itself and blowing in the wind a single thread. L, you comment quietly as you stare at the thread dangling in the wind. She's so far away. She, she's so far. Why is she so far away from me? Because she has to be. He responds as you stare up at him furious. It makes a more beautiful tapestry that way. You rush forward to attack him, but quickly tumble down onto dry leaves. You then look up to see Dustin, Steve, and Will staring down at you. They slowly pick you up as you realize that you're not as alone as you once thought. Will? A familiar voice. (laughs) (laughs) I had to get one Will in. Uh, A familiar voice calls as you look back to see Joyce Byers staring out at the four of you. She didn't seem as as brain dead as before, however. She seemed truly alive. Will rushes into the house and is embraced by his family. Suddenly, static sounds over Dustin's walkie as he frantically pulls it out of his backpack. What are you guys doing? It was Lucas, excited as ever. You have to get over to the arcade. I think Max is about to get the high score on Galaga. You look at the rest of the group with a smile as you rush towards Steve's car. You slow your pace as you approach, however, thinking about that tapestry, thinking about that thread dangling in the wind. Losing L certainly made you more grateful for your friends, but was it truly your fate? It seems that's what the suited man thought, but what did he know? Do you get in the car and go to the arcade with your friends or change your fate? (sighs) Oh, my God. If you had a chance to change your fate, would you? Would you? Uh, shoot. I go to the arcade. Oh, fuck. That's the one I didn't write. Oh. <laughs> I wrote, okay, okay. I wrote, <laughs> no. We'll cut it. We'll cut it. Okay. <laughs> I really thought I had set up this whole you need to change your fate thing, but okay. You go to the arcade and she's playing challenge. Good job. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Pretend I didn't choose the stupid answer. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I'm t- <laughs> I'm changing my fate. Okay. You rush into the buyer's house and quickly ask Jonathan for the directions to Hopper's hideout. He was sworn to secrecy by the sheriff, but something in Mike's eyes told him that that young boy needed to know. 
Moments later, Mike was on his bike, rushing towards the old dilapidated cabin in the woods. He narrowly avoids tripping off the alarms as he rushes up to the door and knocks rapidly. Moments later, he hears the cocking of a gun on the inside as the door slowly creaks open, Hopper staring out nervously. Damn it, he groans as he notices Mike's face. He opens the door a bit more as Mike tries to look past him. Kid, what are you doing here? You ignore this question entirely and rush in to find Eleven on the couch watching an old musical. She looks up at you and is stunned in silence. You swallow nervously, a small smile at playing on both of your lips. And suddenly, both of your energies seem to explode at once as you rush towards each other in an embrace. She smiles at you as Hopper groans, hiding a smile of his own. Why are you here? She asks you quietly as you continue to peer into her eyes. Well, you trace her entire face with your eyes, struggling to fight away that big, goofy grin. I guess it's fate. All right, and now it's time to get into one of the first fan fictions that Breno wrote for the show. And also the first one of our fan fictions that ever, like, blew up. Because Brenna decided, because me, the idiot, decided, oh, we don't need to post these anywhere. People can listen to the show. Brenna said, no, I'm actually going to post mine. And, you know, a lot made a lot of friends along the way, thanks to her fan fiction about Twilight. Um, I know it's never been my favorite movie, but God, the amount of people who love Twilight is insane. And Brenna actually wrote something fantastic based off of it. So let's listen to that. It before it happened. There were two distinct timelines, one where her brother risked everything for a girl he barely knew, and one in which that same girl would take her last breath in this rain-soaked parking lot. Alice was determined not to influence this choice or to let any of the others see her golden brown eyes go wide as the vision overcame her. She stood perfectly still, allowing the wave of voices, images, emotions, and the scent of human blood to crash on top of her. She felt Jasper grab her hand and squeeze it, and she ran her, ran her thumb on, over his, trying to reassure him. Jasper relaxed his grip, but at the same time, she felt her body release the tension it had been holding and knew that he had used his pathokinesis to take away the sickening feeling that always followed her visions. She should have known that he would have been able to see right through her. They had a deep, unbreakable bond, and she realized he probably picked up on the nature of the vision already. She looked up at him, finally able to take in his face after the last images of death had left her eyes, and saw that he was looking at the girl, a grimace fixed on his pale, unblemished face. The corners of her mouth turned up slightly, not actually knowing if he was upset about what was going to happen, or if he was choking down a bloodlust that he was still struggling to control. The wind was blowing slightly, and she herself could smell the new girl, a delicious, intoxicating aroma that had to be sending Jasper's mind into overdrive. She was proud of him for his control, but getting more and more worried about the aftermath of what was going to happen next. If that girl's blood spilled, she wasn't sure if he could still stand so stoic, so silent. They had all eaten recently, but the call of human blood, especially one so pungent, would never be able to go unanswered in some way. If she had breath left in her lungs, she would sigh now. Jasper's power was numbing her senses, and she closed her eyes in relief. Jasper could smell her. The small, timid girl who held her shoulders even higher than he did, who had captured the attention of his newfound brother, who was a new, shiny toy to all of the brainless boys he shared the school with. They didn't care that their attention made her uncomfortable. He felt her anxiety and fear bubbling under her skin. 
He felt the excitement and thrill of the hunt from the boys, dogs tired of chasing the same rabbits they had been unable to catch for years. If only they knew how uninterested she was, how every joke, every question about herself or the weather pushed her farther and farther away. She felt things so strongly that no matter how he tried to ignore her, she pushed into his mind like a battering ram beating down a castle door. He felt her fascination and her desire when he and his family walked into the lunchroom her first day. He smelled her then, too, and had stiffened under Alice's grip. She threw him a bemused smile and distracted him by twirling herself with his hand. It diverted his focus long enough for him to sit at their table, where he had struggled to remember to make his chest rise and fall to resemble breathing, while attempting to ignore that damn smell and feeling the girl's confusion over Edward. Edward. Jasper shot a glance at him and felt his hunger, his thirst. He knew Edward must smell her, too. Even in this crowded parking lot, it was overwhelming. He suddenly realized Alice had gone still beside him, and that was unlike her. She was in every way his direct opposite, bubbly, outgoing, and talkative to the point of annoyance for most of their clan, but not for Jasper. He reveled in listening to her chatter, knowing she didn't expect him to do anything but be there. He loved her deeply, and if there was anything that caused him greater pain than fighting his inner beast, it was the toll her visions took on her. He could smell the fear on her and took her hand. He couldn't read thoughts like Edward could, but he was an empath. He surmised that something bad was on its way, and as Alice's unblinking stare was fixed on the old orange truck and its owner, he knew just who she was seeing in her mind's eye. He sent a thread of calming energy to his mate, readying them for whatever was to come. He cut his eyes to Edward suddenly, standing on the other side of the Volvo. He, too, was staring at the girl. Edward had never felt this way before. He had nothing but disinterest for the girls he went to school with and was usually able to control his thirst around them, even when it had been so long since he'd eaten that his eyes took on the color of an, of an eclipse. A week ago in the cafeteria, and then again in biology class, he had been so sincerely close to losing himself that he had tried anything to get away from this girl, Bella. The smell of her scent the smell of her sent all of his senses into overdrive. He wanted her badly. She looked at him with this unreadable intensity, and when he tried to probe her mind, he found a wall as strong as steel holding him back. She was driving him mad, and he had to escape. He took a few days off of school to eat, to think, and to talk to Carlisle. He told Edward to stay away from her. He told him to switch seats with someone in biology. Anything he could do to cut down on any provocations caused by this girl Bella, the better. They couldn't afford to leave right now. There were deaths happening all around them, and if anything happened to Bella because of Edward, they risked being found out. Edward had sent, sent, set out to follow Carlisle's advice. He really had, but he couldn't stand hearing silence from her mind as everyone else's was screaming at him. She was an enigma, a puzzle that he couldn't leave without finishing. So he took his seat in biology, and that was that. She was beautiful. She was funny. She was different. Edward felt something stir with him, within him, and it wasn't the thirst he had lived with for centuries now. He was looking at her now, watching her with the same intensity as a hawk watches a field mouse. He was so consumed with, in his own thoughts, trying to piece this girl together in his head, that he, didn't, he almost didn't hear the screeching of tires on the far end of the parking lot. He was incredibly fast, but... He felt like he was moving underwater as he turned his head to see Tyler's black van hydroplaning into the lot. A car of the same shade tried to back out, noticing the van careening towards the end of the vehicle just in time. The driver slammed on their brakes and blared their horn in warning. Edward followed the motion of the van, seeing where it would end its journey in one swift, gut-riching moment. His eyes snapped back to Bella, who had obviously came to the same, come to the same realization. Her face was a mask of pure terror, and he felt his heart drop. 
He heard Rosalie and Emmett's voices behind him, but he couldn't make out the words. Tyler was praying in his head, begging his God to let the car stop to spare Bella to just let him live and he would be a saint for the rest of his life. Edward didn't consider himself a God, but he sure as hell was going to answer Tyler. He knew what consequences this might have for his family, but he couldn't stop himself from taking a step forward. Rosalie was bored. She was in high school for the umpteenth time, and though there were all new people with new names and faces, they were all the same underneath. Shallow, mortal, and boring. And then there was the girl. She seemed to have an effect on all of her family. There was an odor to her, sweet like honeysuckles in spring. It pissed her off. As bored as she was, it was a comfortable sort of boring. It was a comfortable sort of boredom, one that she knew would keep her clan safe. This girl threw a wrench into the gears, and she did not like the way they, she stared at them as if they were science experiments, and she especially did not like the way she stared at Edward, unflinching and curious. She knew Edward was interested in her, too. She saw him follow her out of biology class, begging for a life story like a dog desperate for a treat. It was disgusting. She felt as though her whole family was staring at the girl now, even Emmett, who was standing beside her, smiling his goofy smile, and all of a sudden the sky filled with a strange sort of foreboding. The wind was called away, the rain had stopped, and the only smell in the air was burning rubber. The van came into the lot like a bout out of, out of hell, trailed by smoke and echoed screams. She lazily traced its path, but snapped to attention when she saw there was one person, just one, who was in danger. She felt Edward move before she saw it, and Emmett's voice chorused with her own as they shouted at their brother to stop. She reached out a hand, flailing to grab her brother's arm. She made contact, balling up his gray jacket in her hand and yanking him backwards before he could find traction on the ground to run towards the girl. She flung him at Emmett, who locked him into the prison of his arms, looking at his brother apologetically. She heard the impact behind her, and almost immediately after, a piercing and monstrous keening lifted out of Edward's mouth. Confusing, confusion filled Emmett's face, and he brought his eyes to Rosalie's, who knew the sound. She knew something had broken him, in him and felt instant regret. She saved her family, but did she kill her brother in its place? Bella was overwhelmed. This move had been the hardest thing she'd ever done, and it hadn't gotten any easier in her short time in Forks. Her classmates were insistent on making her their new best friend, their girlfriend, their front-page story, but she wasn't interested in any of that. In fact, she wished she could be invisible. After that first day, when the boy in her biology class had acted like she had been sprayed by 25 skunks at once and then requested that he be taken out of her class, she, w she had been mortified. What kind of cruel joke was he pulling? She was glad when he had disappeared for a few days after that, but felt a small longing inside of her to see his face again. She had asked Mr. Molina to give her seat to someone else, but he was a firm believer in assigned seating, and if he did it for her, he would have to change everyone until they were sitting next to their best friends. So she was stuck. When he returned, however, he was jovial, and they fell into conversation like old friends, and by the time she left the school building, her mind was suffering whiplash from the complete 180 he had taken. She was in, day, in a daze, collecting her things to begin the trek home when she saw the van. She heard a flurry of voices, all of whom had realized her fate before she did. Looking around, she caught Edward's eyes, and his golden brown irises were shining, and his mouth was twisted in a scowl, and he moved. She felt a gust of air hit her and turned. The van was sideways now, as if it had made an attempt to turn the vehicle away from hitting her head-on. It was still on course to collide with her, sure to sandwich her between the orange metal of her truck and the black abyss of Tyler's van. There was nothing that she could do, nowhere that she could run. This was it. Her mother would be devastated, and her dad would never be able to live with himself. She cried then, not for herself, but for her family. 
she surrendered closing her eyes and setting her jaw feeling the wind get knocked out of her and her head smacking something hard and then she could feel nothing at all carlisle was at the hospital when it happened he was checking on a comatose patient's vitals when he felt the telltale rush of wind that followed their kind's velocity he turned around a smile gro growing on his face happy for a surprise visit from one of his clan the joy was short-lived however he smelled it before he saw it the overwhelming scent of free-flowing human blood that sickly sweet tantalizing smell it turned his spine to stone as he finally faced edward carrying a girl the girl bella her limbs were limp some hanging in the wrong direction her head lolled back her head lolled back across edward's forearm eyes closed and mouth agape carlyle would have thought she were dead except for the slight movement in her chest he met at edward's eyes then full of pain and fury save her carlyle please bella's vision came and went like she were looking at the world through a strobe light she saw edward's face eyes wet and gaunt before her own mouth moving but accompanied by no sound at least none that she could hear then she saw a very blonde very handsome man in white take his place and he shined a light into her eyes looking grim was he a doctor was this a hospital he moved out of view and bella tried to follow him with her head but found herself rooted to the spot and it sent a shockwave of pain through her spine everything came back at once then sound pain memories the crash she was dying she knew it she panicked breath hitching lungs refusing to fill with air suddenly her dad was in front of her touching her face she noticed his hand came away red he spoke then looking at the doctor do it if it will save her please do it she's all i have she heard the man's calm and calculated answer she's going to be much different at first we can help her teach her but just know that you may never get your child back as you know her she won't age her heart will no longer beat her consciousness and a need unlike any other will be all that's left I can't even guarantee the person she is right now will survive. Do you understand this? She didn't catch a reply, but a choked sob loosened itself from her dad's throat. She heard the doctor sigh. You should know this is not the norm for us. I don't particularly like to share our plight with others. You never quite know how it will turn out. All of my family members were alone when they returned. They were sick, dying, and truth be told, forever is a long time, Mr. Swan. I was asked by a mother a very long time ago to do the same thing you're asking of me now. Edward's mother. Then I met Esme, and there was a bond between us. We found Rosalie and had, hope, had hoped Edward would find that same bond with her. Without telling you my whole family history, because we are running out of time, I would like to summarize by saying Edward has never felt that pull towards anyone until your daughter. I can't say that I know if these feelings are reciprocated, however, because your daughter has an uncanny ability to block certain talents that we possess. All this to say, no matter what, she will be taken care of. She is like family as far as I am concerned and will be treated as such whether she accepts this bond with Edward or not. She will be unable to come back to you for a time. I'm relying on you for a cover story. It could be years before she is able to be introduced back into civilized society. Bella felt a hand grab hers, and her dad bent down to kiss her forehead. He tried his best to smile at her, but it came out as more of a scowl. I love you so much, Bells. Dr. Cullen is going to help you. He opened his mouth to continue, but all that came out was a wheeze, and he clapped his hand over his mouth and sucked in a shuddering breath. She watched as Dr. Cullen put his hands gently on her dad's shoulders and led him towards the door, murmuring things that were too low for her to comprehend. Edward knelt down by her side then, seemingly coming out of thin air. 
She didn't even know he was still in the room. He took her arm in his hands and whispered to her, I'm so sorry, Bella. Edward bit down gently into her skin, teeth sliding effortless, effortlessly under the tissue and into her veins, letting loose a poison that he knew would course through her slowly, burning her from the inside until she was little more than a shell filled with nothing but the thirst. He kept his tongue on the roof of his mouth, trying desperately to keep as much of her blood as possible from getting into his mouth. He wasn't sure what would happen if he began to drink. She had a sort of power over him, something primal, and he could not see her destroyed any more than she already was, especially not at his hands. He hated himself for allowing her to get hurt, for ending the life she could have had. He was selfish. He should have let her die there in the parking lot, but he wasn't strong enough for that. He knew if he took her to Carlisle, he would save her without question. He was glad that they had found her father so quickly and that they could confess their secrets to him. It comforted him to know that he wasn't the only one counting on Bella's survival in any way possible. All at once, she was convulsing, changing. Carlisle appeared back in the room, grabbing her feet as Edward tightened his grip on her arms, feeling the warmth being sucked out of her. Froth formed at the edges of her mouth, and Edward screwed his eyes shut, cursing himself for his cowardice. The shaking stopped, and he opened them again to see her bones resetting themselves. Her cuts, bruises, and blemishes smoothed, returning itself to her beautiful porcelain complexion. She sat up in a quick, imperceptible motion, opening her eyes. They were the color of unfinished rubies, a dark red that gave away the predator that lay sleeping inside that beautiful prison. She looked at Carlisle, then Edward, brows furrowed and nostrils flaring. She snarled a low, predatory sound. What did you do to me? The end. All right, and there was Britain. I feel like Casey Kasem. I feel like some radio DJ is just like, and that was the Twilight fan fiction written by Brenna Clark. Um, which, by the way, God bless Brenna. I know we haven't had her for a while, but like the minute I was always afraid to be like, do you want to write for the show? And she came out swinging every time she had to write fan fiction. So. Thank you to that, Miss Brenna. But now let's talk about me because our next fan fiction is going to be one that was actually uh, – I asked Bren what her favorite was that I had written and she was very adamant that this one was included and it is from episode 22 and it's a fan fiction based off of Dexter but it does have a crossover to be revealed. Tonight's the night. Dexter Morgan writes these words down in a notepad as he surveys his surroundings, an aged wooded cabin with a crackling fire roaring in the background. He strokes his beard as he leans back in a chair and takes a heavy breath. I've spent so many years now without a purpose. I may not have emotion, but I knew I had a purpose. I had to save the world from the darkness of others. I had to feed my dark passenger with the remains of others. Now, now there's nothing but silence. A violently loud silence that I can't ignore. I have to feed my passenger again. Dexter stares down at the paper lit by candlelight. He smiles as he looks up to see a table featuring all of his favorite toys, hypodermic needles, scalpels. All of the favorites were on display before him. He slowly stands as he walks over to begin hanging plastic sheeting. The pristine condition of the cabin was no accident either, as Dexter had spent the last few hours making sure everything was perfect for this kill. By the time he was done, the entire cabin was draped in the opaque plastic as Dexter slowly approached the table. 
He smiled as he slowly put on his rubber gloves, each giving a satisfying snap as he placed them over his hands. He knew after so many years without killing, this one had to be special. It had to be someone whose sins could never be forgiven, no matter how many gods they prayed to. He slowly reaches down and strokes a finger across a needle. It was filled with a clear liquid that acted as a tranquilizer to stop his victims from squirming. He smiles as he picks it up and slowly injects it into his right arm. Dexter gives a quiet moan as the liquid fills his veins, acting as more of a drug than a tranquilizer. A smile crawls across his face as his body begins to dance around, the sedative causing his movements to slow and become more fluid. At this point, he reaches over and grabs a scalpel and begins to spin in circles with the blade like some sort of twisted ballerina. As the high of the drug seems to reach its peak, Dexter smiles as he drags that scalpel across his arm, sending a spurt of blood onto the wall. He stares at that blood spatter with a knowing smile. He was creating a masterpiece. Morgan continued this twisted dance for the following minutes, finding the most vital veins in his body and slicing them open to send a spurt of blood onto the wall. This ecstasy could only last for so long, however, as he began to grow weak from blood loss. He fell to his knees and began to play in that red liquid, using it as a form of paint to create a sick painting underneath him. Just as his muscles begin to give out, Dexter ends his performance with a final act of gusto, placing the blade against his throat and slicing it open. One final blood spatter shoots across the wall as Dexter smiles, his eyes closing and blacking out forever. Number 23. Last call for number 23. A voice calls over an intercom as Dexter's, as Dexter's eyes slowly begin to open once again. He growled as he momentarily considered that it was all a dream, the beautiful painting, the artistic suicide, but it was far too vivid to be a dream. I mean, even if it was, why would he fall asleep in a place like this? His eyes focus as he finds himself in what appears to be a waiting room filled with cigarette smoke and horrifying creatures lining the walls. Where the hell am I? Dexter wonders cautiously as he looks over to a small dispenser reading, Take a Number. He looks around a momentarily before reaching out and taking a number from the machine. He looks down at the slip of paper to see the number 7,323 written out in bold letters. As the intercom once again calls out for number 23, Dexter realizes that he's going to be here for a very long time. He slowly makes his way over to an empty spot between two... Humans? I mean, at least they look human, or like they once were. At this point, Dexter looks down at his arms to see two large gashes appearing up each wrist. His eyes widen as he reaches up and feels the gash where he had slit his throat not moments prior. He swallows and can actually feel the saliva moving down his esophagus. It was a strange sensation, to say the least. His breath quickens as he looks around to see the other humanoids around him, all sporting similar injuries as well, mangled messes of what they once were. You all right, buddy? A voice asks next to him. Dexter turns nervously to see a man with a massive bullet hole through the center of his head. His eyes widen as the man scratches his head before putting a finger in the hole as if to clean it out. Dexter retches as the man smiles and puts an arm around him. Ah, don't worry. I was just lucky when I ended up here. Ah, you get used to it, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. 
It's not that Dexter was unnerved at the sight of someone with a bullet hole in his head or a massive gash running up their stomach. It's just that he wasn't used to seeing them move around so much. He sighs as he leans back in his chair and relegates himself to the fact that he's going to be waiting for a very long time. So, how long have you been here? Me? I don't really remember, really. Tom moves a bit weird around here. The man smiles as he looks down at his paper, which reads 757. Dexter raises an eyebrow until he looks up at the clock, which was ticking by at an agonizingly slow pace, before suddenly shooting forward three minutes, then reversing back two. The clock then slowed to the pace of a normal timepiece, before lazily slowing down once again. It continued this mockery of time-telling as Dexter groaned. He knew he would have to wait. So he did. His time out in the Pacific Northwest made Dexter an expert at sitting idly by while not much really happened. As time went on, he saw men go into that door and then never return. He saw people appear in line in front of the take-a-number box, each with their own grotesque injuries. Some were blue from asphyxiation, others were coughing up blood. And much like the bullet-riddled man next to him said, Dexter got used to it. Eventually, after a length of time that can either be described as 10 centuries or 70 hours, Dexter heard his name called. He couldn't believe it at first, being so used to hearing arbitrary numbers that called every few moments, but eventually someone nudged him forward, and as he stepped towards that door, he wasn't sure what awaited him on the other side. He never had much thought about the afterlife, but he knew after the life he had led, it wouldn't be good. The one thing Dexter never expected to see, however was a small woman with a hole in her neck. All right, Mr. Morgan, nice to meet you today. She comments as she consecutively smokes two cigarettes, one through her mouth and the other through her tracheotomy. She flips through a rather large folder in front of her as she smirks. Well, it looks like you've had quite a life, my friend. Pretty good for business, too. Sent a lot of folks my way. So what? Are you the Grim Reaper or something? Grim Reaper? Sweetheart, I know I look rough, but come on, I can't be that bad. She smirks as she sits Dexter down at a desk, handing him a small tome which reads, Handbook for the Recently Deceased. No, no, my name is Juno, and I'll be your caseworker. Caseworker? Well, sweetheart, we we gotta find somewhere for you to go, don't we? She smiles as she takes another drag off her cigarette. Can't have you just haunting every little place willy-nilly. No, no, you gotta have a place to stay. Oh. Oh, I see. What? Dexter's eyes furrow as she smiles, reading through his file. She quickly reaches underneath her desk and begins packing up her things, throwing them into a suitcase. Oh, God, I haven't had a vacation in almost a millennia. Thank God you came along, you beautiful, stupid man, you. She stands and quickly hugs him before rushing him over into her seat and throwing him in. His eyes widen as she begins tossing file after file in front of him, lighting a cigarette and putting it in his mouth. All right, here's your next 50 clients, a handbook on how to take care of them, and a pack of menthols. Take care, and next time you see me, I'll be hanging with the sandworms. Wait, 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 what? What's going on? Well, you killed yourself, stupid. She comments with a smile before patting him on the head. And up here, suicides lead to one job and one job only. Caseworker. 
And with that, Juno quickly leaped out of the room, leaving Dexter alone and confused. He nervously thumbs through his first few clients before opening the handbook. He attempts to study the new role that he had been thrust into, but quickly gives up and slams his head against the table. He left his life in order to run away from monotony, to run away from a lack of purpose, but he only found more of it waiting on the other side. Suddenly, he hears the sound of sliding papers. He looks up to see his case file being slowly drug away from the desk. He stands up and attempts to grab at them, but they're quickly snatched away, being pulled across the floor on what appeared to be a long rope with black and white stripes. He stands and gives chase, running after the rope and the important files that were attached to the end of it. This leads Dexter Morgan on a chase throughout the waiting room and into a long hallway with numerous doors on each side. Dexter closes the, da- the gap between himself and the folder and quickly leaps, attempting to snatch it away. Unfortunately, he overshoots and sends himself careening into one of the doors. It opens, and suddenly he falls into a massive desert of sand. At least, he would if he wasn't suddenly caught. He looks up to see that same black and white rope wrapped around his ankle. He attempts to climb up when he looks off into the distance to see a massive worm with horrifying teeth crawling his way. He struggles against gravity as the worm nearly bites him in two when suddenly the rope retracts. Dexter finds himself pulled up back through the door and into the hallway. He attempts to stand, but the rope continues to drag him. He looks down at the hook that's grabbed him around the leg only to find that it's not a hook at all. It's a hand. He stares down in confusion as he gets pulled into another door where he lands with a thud into a pile of garbage. The hand releases its grasp as Dexter attempts to crawl out of the disgusting pile of trash. As he emerges, however, he finds the owner of that hand holding his case file. Whoo, okay, sorry about that there, big man. The figure, the figure comments, sporting a suit which was colored in the same strap, striped pattern as the rope, which was now revealed to, his, to be his arm. The figure had dark eyes and massive hair that seemed to defy gravity around his balding head. What the hell is going on? What? You mean the sandworms? Yeah, yeah, real problem around these parts. Darn things ain't three of my ex-wives and only two of them was on purpose. (laughs) He laughs as he begins to flip through the case file. Dexter lunges forward in an attempt to grab it, but the man simply moves out of the way, forcing Dexter to land into another pile of garbage. Woo, buddy, let me tell you, this is some good stuff right here. Got everything a ghoul like me could want. Murder, mystery, I think you banged your sister at one point. I, I, I never banged. Just give me the file back. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. I gotta see how this thing ends. The creature reaches the end of the file, then grimaces as he looks up at Dexter. Really? You become a lumberjack and... that's it? Uh, well, looks like we're gonna need another ending for you there, buddy. So what? You're like a time traveler or something? Can change what happened? Oh, no, absolutely not. No, 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 I can't do that. I'm, I'm just a simple man. Used to be a caseworker just like you. What happened? Well, according to Juno, I don't work well with others. According to me, she's a bitch and wouldn't let me do my damn job. And what exactly is your job? Dex, do do you mind if I call you Dex? You see, people come in those doors every single day, and all they want is a normal life. They want their homes back, they want their TV, their Netflix specials, whatever, and the damn living keep that, keep taking that away from them. They move in the house, eat their food, bang their daughters, all sorts of nonsense. So, that's where I come in. I make sure the living stay out of the affairs of the dead. I'm, uh, 
and uh, what's that word? An exterminator of sorts. What's your name? And you see, Dex, after reading this case file, I think you are just, oh, perfect. The number one guy to join me in my business. You know why? Because ain't no living people going to keep interfering with our business if they ain't living no more. All right, all right. That's well and good. But what's your name? We can't exactly start a business together if I don't know your name. All right, you know, you know, Dex, I, I like you, really do. Love your name, but if I if I tell it to you, you're gonna start telling your friends. They start calling me over trying to get autographs. It's this whole problem. But the way I figure it is, you didn't leave your life because you hated killing. You left your life because you weren't doing it no more. You're up being a lumberjack playing Wolverine in the fucking woods. So I'm giving you a chance to get back in the game. And this time, ain't no more worrying about consequences because you're already dead. Come on, what else are they going to do to you? So what do you say, big man? We got a deal? The man smiles as he extends an old, decrepit hand towards Dexter. He flashes a smile of yellowing teeth, bugs crawling across his gums. Dexter looks down at his hand and the massive gash running above it. Dexter seems hesitant for a moment, looking back towards the door where he could return to his normal life as a caseworker. Ah, come on, man. Just shake my hand. It'll all be all right. We got this figured out. Dexter suddenly feels his wrist grabbed as the monstrous creature forces his hand into his. The two shake hands for a moment as Dexter grimaces. But suddenly that grimace grows into a massive smile as Dexter looks into the beast's dark eyes. Dexter knew he couldn't go back. He knew he had to feed his dark passenger, and it was nice to finally put a face to that dark voice that's been in his head for so many years. Dexter releases the handshake before commenting, You've got a deal. On one condition. Tell me your name. The man smiles. Oh, surprise, motherfucker, I'm back. Oh, God, I loved that Dexter fan fiction. I don't know why, because that was one of the... Anytime it gets... I, I talk, Someone was talking the other day about, like, writing and deadlines and the importance of them. And I'm like, deadlines are awesome because, like, if you start really early, you have the ability to get stu- super creative. But also, if you wait till the last minute, like I do a lot, much to my co-host's chagrin... It does result in some really good creative stuff coming out. And the thought of, huh, why not just put Beetlejuice with Dexter? That was definitely a late-minute creative decision. Um, But now let's get into, honestly, my favorite fic that was ever brought to the show. It's mostly my favorite because anything that... I don't want to say mocks because it didn't mock it. But any example of, like, good, good, bad fan fiction, I love. Like, I love good, bad movies just as much. But this is the goodest, baddest fan fiction of all time. And this was technically the first fan fiction on this show that was ever written. Because this was written by a very, very young Brenna Clark about her love affair with one Freddy Krueger from episode 23, Nightmare on Elm Street. It starts out with introduction, spelled I-N-T-E-R-D-U-C-T-I-O-N. I'm so happy! <laughs> well, our life is moving on from the last time we saw Freddie. My name is Brenna. I'll tell you what happened after we, after we thought our life was perfect. Chapter 1, Introduction. We, we thought that Freddie would kill all of us, but now we know that he is dead, right? 
Well, if he isn't dead, we can always kick his dead carcass. Hi, Brenna, are you still with us? Melissa asked. Oh, I should take a break and say, these are all my friends in elementary school. So. Oh, this makes me so happy. Yeah, okay. Uh, huh? Oh, yeah, Brenna said. Look, guys, I think Brenna should quit thinking about Freddy, Derek L. said. I'm not. Yes, you are. Fine, I am. But it's just weird that he's finally dead. Brenna, Derek said, putting his arm around me. We all know he's dead. He can't come back. Brenna, I think Derek is right, said Charity. I think she's stupid, Bubba said. Oh, give it up, Bubba, Brenna said. Chapter two, the appearance. Brenna, do you think you'll be able to sleep okay, Derek asked. What do you mean, Brenna asked. Well, you know, Freddy. Yeah, sure. Are you really sure? Yeah, it's okay, Derek. I see ya. Brenna fell asleep. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> and, and I, uh, see ya. Yeah. Britta fell asleep at last, then she started dreaming. Hi. Didn't expect to see me, did ya? Freddy asked. We killed you. You're supposed to be dead. I'm not back yet, but I will be. Then he disappeared as she woke up. Right away, she called Derek. Derek? Huh? Oh, hey. Did I wake you up? She asked. Nah, duh. Sorry. Look, I had a dream and Freddy was in it, Brenna said. Brenna, I told you she, that he's dead. He said that... He said that he wasn't back yet, but he will be, she explained. Okay, but did he look the same? You know, burnt and everything? No, he was bones. <laughs> <laughs> Spooky story. <laughs> he was bones. Whoa. Derek, what if, Brenna, he, if he comes back, we can just kill him. But he's too powerful. Here's, here's the best line in the whole book. No one is too powerful for all of us kids. <laughs> all right if you say so chapter three nightmares hi mom brenna yawned out how did you sleep you look like you've been up all night her mom asked well i had a nightmare honey they are not real all right i'm going to school hey guys brenna said hey what's up Derek said well you'd have a horrible night if you had a nightmare what are you guys saying melissa asked nothing in your nosy self should hear Hey, she said, sounding mad. I'm kidding, Brenna said sweetly. But seriously, what were you two lovebirds talking about? Well, I had a bad dream. Whoa, I had one too. What was yours about? Melissa asked. Well, see, I saw Freddie and he said, Brenna never got to finish her statement. Hey, what's wrong? Got choked up, Charity said. Have you been here all the all this time? Derek asked. You're not su supposed to sneak up on us like that, Chair Bear. Sorry about it, Charity said. We all had nightmares about the same thing. Chapter four, the boiler room. In school that day, Mrs. Burt was teaching math when I fell asleep. Hey, Brenna, glad to see me, Freddie asked. You, you, you're back, Brenna stuttered. Yeah, I'm back and I'm here to kill you, Freddie screeched, scratching his nails against the metal pipe. Brenna ran from the boiler room screaming. She heard a voice pounding in her, in her ear. She pressed her arm against a hot pipe and awoke with a fright. Brenna, are you okay? Derek asked worriedly. Yeah, I'm fine, Brenna choked out. You call this fine? He said, pointing to my arm. It's fine, trust me, Brenna said sweetly. Brenna, oh my, what happened? Charity and Melissa said excitedly. I saw Freddie and he, he, she pointed to her arm. You, Brenna, go to the principal's office, Mrs. Burt said, pointing toward the door. Brenna went slowly, looking both ways, just in case Freddie came back. Chapter five, the principal. Bubba whispered to Brittany, it will be a miracle if she comes back. What do you mean, Melissa asked. Well, once you see Freddie, you don't come back, Bubba said, sounding scary. Whatever, Melissa said irritatedly. Meanwhile, hello, Britta said nervously. I was expecting you, a voice said. 
Who are you? Brenna asked worriedly. He answered, I'm your worst nightmare. Then all of a sudden, Freddy jumped out of the shadows. Ah! Brenna screamed, trying to get away. <laughs> but <laughs> before she did, he got her. Ah, a little damsel in distress, eh? He said, laughing a high-pitched laugh. Let me go, Brenna screamed, hitting him on the chest. The more you squirm, the more painful it will be, he cackled. He threw his talons over Brenna's neck, and she screamed with fright. I'll be back, Freddy yelled. I don't know why he left. Chapter six. <laughs> <Where's>... I'll see you later. <laughs> Chapter six, where's everyone? Brenna ran back to her classroom as fast as a jackrabbit on a hot skillet. Okay. Oh, that's the Alabama coming out, Brenna. It's terrible. Mrs. Burt, Mrs. Burt, she yelled, where is everyone? She had a major breakdown. Brenna, Brenna whipped around. Huh, who are you? It's me, Brittany. Oh my God, are you okay? Does this look okay? She crawled up to me and I saw her arm. She was cradling her J-Lo tattooed arm with her left arm. Wait, the tattoo yes. was of J-Lo? They had yes. a tattoo of J-Lo? Yes, but I think it may have been a temporary tattoo. I don't know why <laughs> okay. I, I was fixated on that, but here we are. Oh, I. she gave me her arm. Here, take it. I nearly puked from the sight of all the blood on the floor and on her. Hey, look it. What? Freddy's claws, they're in your arm. So? I nearly dropped to the floor. What do you mean, so? I mean, he's only got his gloves. She looked at me like I was stupid. Oh, never mind. Where's everybody at? Freddie took them to that portal. Thanks, cuz. Look, you stay here until I get back. I hugged her with one arm. Oh, yeah, Britt? Huh? Don't fall asleep. Chapter 7, The Body. Brenna finally jumped through the portal. She held Freddie's claws in her hands, then put them in her pocket. She stepped on something. Ew. Huh? Charity? She started bawling. I can't believe it. Charity was face up, bleeding from head to toe. How did he do it? He doesn't have his claws. Then I saw her. It was Melissa cradling herself with her thumb in her mouth. Melissa, no, 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 I'll do anything. She covered her face with her hands. It's me, Brenna. Oh, I, they took charity. She put her head on my shoulder. Where is he? He went to that room. She pointed to the door with the words, welcome to my nightmare on it. (laughs) Melissa, don't fall asleep. I want to come with you. Fine, but be careful. I looked at her for a long time and finally took Charity's body and buried it in the soft dirt. I thought we were in a building. We'll miss you, Charity. Melissa started bawling. Shh, you'll wake up the dead. Chapter 8. Where's the portal? I went to the door and whipped around to see Melissa still cowering in the shadows. Melissa, I screamed. What? Why are you screaming at me? If you're coming with me, get your scrawny gluteus maximus off the floor. Okay. She murdered something under her breath I couldn't understand. Hey, Brenna, didn't you say you went through a portal? Yeah, so? Where's it at? There. Where? There. Where is... Whoa! She fell through the portal and ended up beside the armless Brittany. Brenna, I didn't even notice that she had fallen through the portal. Um, Britt's asleep. Well, wake her up. She went back and shook Brittany's arm. Brittany! She was modeling Freddy's claws at the time, and when Brittany woke up, she screamed, bloody murder. Don't kill me! Please don't kill me! Brittany, it's me and I can't hurt you. Thanks for waking me up. I'll stay awake this time. Chapter 9, My Classmates. Well, it's time. We went up to the door, and we opened the door, and I saw something so horrible I couldn't turn away. There, in that dark scarlet room, I saw all of my classmates, or so I thought. There was Ethan, Dustin, Bubba, Charity, and a lot of other people that I could have saved. I fell on my knees and cried. Brenna, I felt a hand on my shoulder. You know that you're sitting on chastity? Ew! I jumped up. 
I jumped up to see her lifeless face staring at me. They're all dead, Brenna. You'd figure that, wouldn't you? I sucked my thumb and rocked myself. Brenna, you... I know. (laughs) Brenna, we have to kill Freddy. So I got up and I took all my friends' bodies and buried them. Melissa, take off those claws. Aw, I like them. Well, I don't care. Give them to me. She did as she was told. Listen, all my dead, disembodied friends, I didn't mean anything I said that was mean. We walked into the portal. Chapter 10, The Servant. So you thought you could outsmart me, did ya? We looked where the voice had come from, and there was Freddy. You thought you could take my claws, and then I'd be helpless, right? I looked at him and tried to say something, but he cut me off. I bet you want to know how I killed your friends. I opened my mouth to speak, but someone broke me off again. Hey, I do. Melissa looked like she was going to die if she didn't find out. Well, I guess I'll show you. And then I noticed there was a boy in the shadows. You, come forth. The boy, the boy stepped out, and I recognized his face. It was Bubba. Hey, Bubba, what are you doing here? Melissa asked like she was stupid. He's my immortal slave. All righty, then. Here's your demonstration. He <laughs> opened- <laughs> He's my slave. All righty, then. <laughs> he opened his mouth and shoved Bubba in. Ew. Then he ripped his stomach open and... Chapter 11. And he took him out. Mr. Freddy, sir, I think that's gross. Well, this was how I killed your friends. Don't I get a say in this? Oh, you don't have a slave no more. You want to bet? Melissa stared into Freddy's eyes and saw what he was talking about. Brenna, shut up. But, but I'm talking. Then I saw her. It was Brittany. Brittany, I thought you were at my house. I am a slave. I am a slave. Hey, Brittany. She turned and I hit her with a bat. We ran this out some of- fucked up shit for an eight-year-old to be getting into, Brenna. You have no idea, Scotty. Uh, we ran out of there, and I said, we got to go into the past. I'm scared. Oh, you chicken. I watched this one show of uh, something, and they never made it back from the past. We have to get my teleport machine because I have one. We- I want to go back in time and hug little Brenna so much. <laughs> she, she, uh, she probably wouldn't have let you. She was an asshole. Um, <laughs> we ran to my house and saw my mom. She was dead. I'm not going to s- describe what she looked like. Come on, Brenna. We stepped into the teleport. Chapter 12 in 1662. I made, up, I made up that fucking number. I don't know where it came from. After a long travel, about 342 years back, we finally landed somewhere in England. Brenna, look at that. I turned my head and saw Freddy. Ah, excuse me, fair lass, but why for out? Why, why for art thou yelling? Because you're Freddy Krueger. How in the name of King Henry I did you know that? I looked him over. He had the eyes, hair, and body of Leo from Charmed. Brenna? (laughs) (laughs) Brenna, hello, are you okay? I snapped out of it and said, oh, yeah. Oh, wherefore art thou, Jason? Then Jason Voorhees showed up. Now Melissa had something to look at. (laughs) Jason had the eyes, hair, and body of Cole off of Charmed. You're cute, Melissa said to Jason. Uh, thank you, fair lass. You're very beautiful yourself. He said, I'm beautiful. I jumped at her words. I had been so busy, busy looking at Leo. Oh, I mean, Freddie, I'd been lost. So what can we help you with? I, chapter 13, in my own world. This is the best chapter. I suddenly snapped into, well, not a dream, but a vision. I saw myself, an older version, walking down an aisle. I was in a dress. 
Then I saw myself tear the dress off, but fortunately I had on pants and a t-shirt. I almost almost saw the groom. Brenna, ma'am, Melissa, I had a vision if you would only let me see it. Sorry, but Freddie wanted to ask you something. Yes, my dear lass, I was wondering if you would go to the Great Britain with me tonight. Huh? (laughs) (laughs) I, I wondered if you would go on a date with me. Oh, God, yeah. I screamed at the top of my lungs. Oh, and Jason wonders that too for you, black-haired lass. Of course I'll go, Melissa screamed. We decided to go at dawn tomorrow. See you lassies tomorrow. Bye, cuties. Chapter 14, that evening. Okay, if I'm going to go along with this Freddy, don't call me lass, Brenna said. Melissa said, I don't care what Jason calls me. She was curling her hair with her fingers. Listen, Freddy, Brenna started to say. Yes, I wanted to ask you if you liked kids, she asked hurriedly. They kind of irritate me. Brenna turned to Melissa. This is not good. She whipped around to face Freddie. Do they irritate you enough to kill them? Freddie's jaw dropped. Of course not. Look, after this, we have to get you to the future. Okay, sure. (laughs) After dancing until her heels grew red, Brenna grabbed Freddie, Melissa, and Jason by the arm. We have to go. Melissa stuck out her lip. Oh, I was just getting started, she said, glancing at Jason and winking. I don't care. They ran to the teleport. Let's rock, she roared. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 15. In 2003, there's the date. The first thing Brenna did when she got back was to bury her mom. Her tears wouldn't come to the surface. She called Derek. It rang three times and he picked up. Oh, Derek, I'm so glad you're okay. Yeah, I've missed you. Brenna fumbled with the phone. Derek, can you come to my house? Yeah, I'll see you there. They hung up. Fifteen minutes later, she saw his red Mustang, which he did not have, climb the drive because he was eight. When When he walked in, she grabbed him in a hug and wouldn't let go. Derek, my mom, she's, she's, shh, don't talk. He held her as all of her tears spilled. Finally, when she was done crying, she said, Derek, I want you to meet Freddie. They shook hands. It's time. Derek took hold of Brenna. Let's go. Chapter 16, Freddie's Lair. Look, Freddie, the future you kills kids and only you have the power to stop him. Brenna filled him in. I'll stop him for you. They went through the portal where they had found Charity. The words, welcome to my nightmare, glowed on the on the door. They opened it and there stood Freddie. Hi, past self, Freddie said, clicking his claws. <laughs> Brittany walked out. She held a whistle. Round one. She stepped out of the way. The bad Freddie winked at Brenna. The two Freddies lunged for each other. The good Freddie kicked him between the legs. Ooh, Derek said, smiling. Brittany came over. One, two, three. Round one, good Freddie. Then a bell sounded. Round two. She stepped into the shadows. Get ready, Freddie. The next bell sounded. Chapter 17, victory to who? The bell went off. This time, old Batty cut old Goody's left hand off. Freddie fell down moaning. Brittany counted one, two, three. Round two, master. The bell sounded once more. Last round. With the score tied, good Freddie waved his claws. What? How did he get claws? Goody two shoes. Oh, I meant bad. Okay, Goody Two Shoes took them off and plunged them into his heart. Every time Batty moved, the blades, <laughs> the blades went deeper. Finally, he fell to the ground and his eyes rolled back in his skull. One, two, three. Something came over Brittany. Where am I? She asked, rubbing her head. Brittany, I missed you. 
They hugged like they weren't like they weren't going to let go. We won, Derek said, grabbing Brennan in an embrace. Yeah, we won. Chapter 18, a happy ending, but is it? Freddie stepped into the teleport. Goodbye, beautiful. He brought Brenna's face up to his and kissed her. Bye, Freddie. The teleport grunted and groaned. He vanished. The four friends went into Brenna's house. I hope this is the last time we see him, Derek said, drinking his first Coke in a week. Me too. I don't. Brenna went over to Derek and kissed him softly, two boys in one night. Oh, damn. <laughs> Melissa giggled. How cute. Brittany and Melissa said in perfect harmony, who's for pizza? They all filed in the kitchen for it. Conclusion. Well, I've told you my story. I hope you won't have to face him. Maybe I can lead a normal life with my friends now. Maybe it's all over. He's gone forever. Even though I will miss the young Freddy, I'll live. Parentheses. I hope. God, that's such good fic. It's so good. It just has like all of the good stopping points. It's got time travel. It's got shipping. It's got Mary Sue care. It's just got all of it punched up into a little ball and I love it. And now to finish off the show, because I know the show has gone long because because I know, uh, I want to do my favorite fan fiction I ever wrote for the show. It led me to find one of my favorite shows of all time, one of the few animes that I actually enjoy, and it's also about the good, good boy known as John Cena in John Cena High School Host Club. So let's have a listen. Your name is Stephanie Miles, and it's your first day at a new school. After months and months of bullying, you finally reached your breaking point. You remember that moment vividly. Samantha Callahan, the self-pronounced leader of your bully group, chased you down and beat you into the concrete. The school gathered around as you attempted to stand, but your arms betray you, forcing you to fall to the ground. Blood rushes from your nose as it smacks against the concrete. Why was Samantha, Sammy for short, coming after you? Simple. Your gorgeous hair. It drew the unwanted attention of several boys, and Sammy did not like that. She couldn't stand the idea that there was someone more beautiful than her, and you fit that bill perfectly. As you attempt to stand again, you feel a swift kick in the ribs as you're sent careening back onto the ground. You hear the laughter of Sammy and her friends as tears begin to well up around your eyes. People have started to gather and whisper, some sympathetic to your cause and some declaring, it's what you deserved all along. Then you hear something even more horrifying. The sound of shears. You try to run away, but Sammy's goons were too fast. They hold you down as Sammy comes from behind, and then you feel it. The feeling of rapidly moving blades connecting with your skull as Sammy pulls the buzzer across your scalp. You try to resist, but any attempts are met with a swift punch that slammed your face into the concrete again. By the time it was over, you could only stare down as your beautiful hair lay on that concrete, stuck together with blood. You reach up to touch your scalp and feel blood pouring down, and then you snapped. You don't know what happened next. All you know is that when you awoke, Sammy was being pulled away on a stretcher, and your arm was being nearly ripped out of joint as you were being drugged to the principal's office. One quick meeting later, and you were expelled. Which leads us to today, your first day at your new school. It cost your parents almost their entire life savings to send you here, but they knew it was somewhere where you could be safe 
from someone like Sammy. You reach up to touch the little bit of hair you have on your head as you slowly walks into the gates of the Cena Academy. You struggle to find your classes as you walk the halls. It was like a mansion with no discernible map. Your first day of the your first class of the day was music class. You rush through the halls as the clock ticks down, struggling to stay punctual. You come up under a sign reading Music Room 3. You reach out for the doorknobs with a wince as you stand terrified of what lay within. Would it be mockery from students, looks of unwanted sympathy for your cause? You would find none of that within this room, however, for as you entered that room, you entered the host club. You see, only those with excellent social standing and those from filthy rich families are lucky enough to spend their time here at the elite private school, Sina Academy. The Sina Host Club is where the school's handsomest boys with too much time on their hands entertain young ladies who also have way too much time on their hands. Just think of it as Sina Academy's elegant playground for the super rich and beautiful. Hello? You ask nervously as you enter when suddenly five young men stare at you wide-eyed. One had a small smirk on his face, growing as he pushed up his glasses. Two of them were busy whispering amongst one another. There was another who was tall and strong who began rapidly rushing towards you, but not staring at you. His gaze was looking down at something moving rapidly, which is when you get nearly tackled to the ground by a small figure gripping your leg. Hi! My name's Ray. What's your name? The small, excited figure asks as he jumps up and down. Welcome to the Cena High School Host Club. Oh, we're so excited to have a new recruit. New recruit? You ask nervously when the man sporting glasses speaks up. Ray, please leave the man alone. He's obviously lost. The man walks towards you, searching through an iPad as your eyebrows furrow. Man? Did he just call you a man? Before you can ponder any further, however, he continues. What class are you looking for? I, uh, 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 music 101? You respond as he continues to stare down at his iPad before turning the screen towards you. Ah, that's music room 7. He responds as you look down at the screen, showing the room nearly completely across campus. You sigh as he continues. I don't mean to be rude, but there's no way you can make this on time. So stay with us! Come on! Ray continues to pull on your arm as you try to back out. You hated being late, but you knew about host clubs. It was nothing but an excuse for men to gawk on idiotic women that would fall for the easiest tricks. You try to back out when the door slams shut behind you. You slowly turn to see a sixth man staring at you. You weren't sure where he came from, but you knew who he was. He had a tall, slender build with a buzzed blonde haircut. His smile lit up the entire room as he slowly struts towards you. You attempt to run, but he grabs you and holds you in place. As you look upon the man's face, you freeze in fear. It was John Cena Jr., the self-proposed leader of the host club and son of the man who created this academy. John Cena Jr., or simply Jr., as he liked to be called, was not a man to be reckoned with. His connections were far and wide, and he gives you a stern look as you try your best to avert your gaze. Only one day at this new academy, and you already had someone looking to bully you. You. You wince as you prepare, prepare for the parade of insults to pour out of his mouth. You are absolutely one of the most handsome men to ever grace our doorstep. You must join this club. 
wait, what? What? No, no. I think there's a misunder. He stops you with a finger to your lips, causing a shiver to run down your spine. No, no, no. I won't take no for an answer. You absolutely must join us. But first, he smiles as he looks down at your old clothes. Having spent all their money on tuition, your parents weren't able to afford the official school uniform, forcing you to attend in ratty old t-shirts and jeans. Junior smirks as he snaps his fingers. James, Jay, get this boy fixed up, won't you? With that, the two whispering twins rush towards you with a uniform before, before pulling you towards a changing room. Moments later, you stare at yourself in a mirror, dressed in an official Cena School Academy uniform, and... And you look good. You never were one for physical looks, but for once, since that horrible attack, since you lost your hair... You can look at yourself in that mirror and smile. You dust off that powder blue coat and put it on before merging back into music room three. My God, you certainly clean up well, don't you, commoner? You groan as Junior refers to you by the name of commoner, before, but before you can retort, he interrupts once again. Uh, no, 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 no talking. Daddy needs to assess you. Following this, Junior takes a step back next to the spectacled man and begins to stare you up and down. They whisper back and forth as sweat beads on your forehead. Moments later, they begin to circle you like vultures, all six of them. You want to run, you want to escape, but you're trapped between their bodies before a small smile grows on Junior's face. So tell me, commoner, what exactly is your type? He asks as your eyebrows furrow once again confused at this statement. You see, the Cena host club attempts to craft multiple personalities to cater to the whims of every woman who enters through that door. We have the intelligent type, like Seth. He points towards the man with the glasses. The strong but silent type, like Antonio here. The tall man from earlier stands proudly as the small boy known as Ray climbs onto his shoulder, joined by the twins. Uh, the boy Lolita, the mischievous types. Wait, what exactly are you? You ask with a raised eyebrow as Junior smirks before doing a back handspring and landing in a chair, posed like a regal king. Me? Why, I am the prince. He comments, causing a groan to fall out of the mouths of the rest of the members of the host club. What? I am the prince! It's my type! It's written down! So, what... Exactly. Are you? I... Uh, I'm just me. I'm just stuff. You try to comment again, but Junior interrupts, crossing to you and pulling you closer. Oh, Stephen, 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 it's quite all right, my boy. Many people don't understand exactly what type they are until they try it out. Here, here let's give you a few options. Moments later, and you are whisked away into a chair where the boys give you continuous makeovers into different types, such as the dark and brooding, the mischievous child, and numerous others. After several attempts to change you, you finally stand up in a huff. You rip off the dark wig they, wig they placed on your head and throw it on the ground, only for Seth to quickly scoop it up and place it on a dummy, fixing the mangled mess of hair. I'm not any of these things! I'm not even a man! You yell out as Junior sighs and walks towards you, hand extended. Oh, my dear Stephen, I know it feels that way now. We all have a long way to go before becoming men, but that's exactly what the host club is here to teach you. He smiles as he leads you to a chair, sitting you down. We are here to turn boys into men. 
We're here to make women happy. For example, Antonio makes them happy by making them feel safe. Ray makes them happy by spreading his own childlike joy in the twins. Well, you turn to see James and Jay staring into each other's eyes, holding each other tightly. Jay's hand runs through the hair of his twin as they pull each other closer. I'm so sorry I neglected you earlier, James. I just... I can't let myself fall into this trap again. I understand, James responds as your eyes widen. No one understands you more than I do, brother. You groan as you turn back towards Junior, who smirks. The twins do what they do. He smirks as he sips from a cup of tea before setting it back down on the table with a pinky extended. So really, all you have to do is make a woman happy. How exactly would you make a woman happy, Stephen? I... I feel like I would just... No! You respond as the twins break into a giggling fit. I mean, it's pretty natural for me to know what makes a woman happy. I mean, after all, I am a natural! I like that! He smiles at you as he takes your hand and swoops you up into the air. You will be the natural! The one who makes women feel like they're being listened to. The one who really understands them. I mean, that's its a bit of a strange idea, really, but it just might work. So, what do you think, Stephen? Think you have what it takes to actually become a host? Well, actually, I... Before you can respond, a bell rings overhead and a knock is heard at the door. Jay and Jimmy quickly prep themselves with a hand on each handle. Excellent! That's fantastic to hear, dear Stephen. You'll make an excellent addition to the club. He smiles as he and the other four host club members jump into formation in front of the door. He quickly pulls you by his side as the doors are flung open and several dozen women come flocking in. Hope you're ready to test those skills, my boy. Because the host club is open! All right, ladies and gentlemen, I only wanted to do five because I knew I knew it was going to be long no matter what, but I figured five was the perfect amount. So that's uh, those were some of our favorite fix throughout the years. Make sure to go back and listen to those episodes if you enjoyed them or go back and listen to the other episodes if you want. Uh, of course, I have been Scotty Moore. Make sure to send all of your fan fiction if you want it read on the channel or anything like that to a load of pure BS at gmail.com if you want to support make sure to do that over on patreon like at patreon.com slash a load of bs like the patreon saint of fun fiction himself joe Gennaro, or by picking up you some fun fiction merch at merch.aloadofpurebs.com ladies and gentlemen and i just want to thank everyone out there for making this an absolutely fantastic year for fun fiction Next year, it's going to be even greater. We're going to get on bigger hosts. We're going to have better fictions. It's going to get amazing in 2019, and I just hope you guys join us. And you can by hitting that subscribe button down below. Of course, uh, the podcast is our main focus on this channel, but of course, I also read out some of my favorite fanfics on the channel, and make sure to leave some comments below about what else you'd like to see on the Fun Fiction channel, because I was thinking about maybe, because I, I've gotten a lot of fun fanfiction that are like, 
hundreds of thousands of words and it makes me insecure because I've written three books, none of which are over a hundred thousand words, I think. But I, I want to find a way to recognize them without having to read them on the channel. So I'm thinking about maybe doing like a fan fiction review thing or something like that. Maybe just normal book reviews, writing advice. Just let us know what you'd like to see by leaving it in the comments below. But if you're listening on iTunes or any of those podcasting apps, leave a review. Let the people know. Let us know what you want to see on the show a little bit more. Let us know what shows you'd like to get reviewed. I mean, I know there's a world of fan fiction. Like earlier today, I was like, why haven't we considered Ninja Turtle fan fiction yet? You know, like, there are so many things that fan fiction can be that I want to hear what you guys want. So make sure to leave a review on iTunes to let us know about that. Ladies and gentlemen, and as always, like I said, thank you for a wonderful 2019. Make sure to check out the other shows at a load of purebs.com. I'm sick. I'm rambling. So until next time, stay away from baby Hitler